Bible buds. Bible buds. All right, we're back, baby. We're back. All right. We got another. We're back. We got another. Uh, we got a guest for you. <laughs> another guest. Um, stoked to welcome London to the to the the podcast here. What's up, fellas? Yeah, thanks for coming on, London. Of Appreciate course. it. Of course, of course. I uh, um, yeah, I met I met London through the uh, the Portland music scene, as I as I spoke about last week. Lots of the the people that we know that you know have grown up religious and then uh, kind of stepped away from it. Seem to be a lot of the the people that I encounter in the music scene, and uh, London is one of those people. Interesting. I actually didn't know that uh, um, statistic. I like that. Well, it's a made-up one. It's anecdotal. Yeah, it's okay. anecdotal. But, but I'm a I'm a piece of that as well. You know. Nice. I, yeah. I just keep. I don't know. I I find more and more a lot of like a lot of the times when I'm talking to an artist about, oh, what's the, you know, what's the musical background? And I'm like, oh, well, I was in the church choir, or hmm. I played music at church. I was in the worship bands, or you know, yeah. just a yeah. lot of stuff like that. But just uh, a lot of them don't identify with religion anymore. I wonder, if, I wonder if like millennials are the biggest group of generation that grew up religious but then got away from a religion. I want well, to know that stat. I think the generation before us, like without. Like, especially like our parents, like without the internet, you're kind of just like, well, maybe I don't like, I have a lot of doubts and maybe I don't really believe this anymore, but like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with that? Right. You know? Yeah. There's, there's no way to really like back it up with anything. And so you're just sort of stuck in your community and you're like, well, yeah, I could leave, but what am I, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? And now like the whole world has just been fucking blasted open. And so... If you decide you want to change your worldview, you can find like-minded people um, via the internet. Whereas before, that was not really an option. Absolutely. Um, I think it took a braver soul to be like, I'm moving from my small town in Kentucky and I'm going to New York like I always wanted to. And I'll find like-minded people in Greenwich Village. Mm -hmm. People definitely did that, but it was not super common. No, definitely not. But I think you plug those same people into our current... uh, our current landscape and i think it would the numbers would look similar i think it's more a function of um less a generational thing in terms of like the culture and more just like yeah the technology having like a massive effect on the way that people kind of understand themselves yeah i can but, see that for sure yeah um just to give you know a better intro for london though before we get into this thing i met london through the music scene uh he's a phenomenal drummer killer all-around musician plays in small league sink ships which is uh the band i first saw him in and met him through and also has a killer solo project called cult crimes and uh you're dropping you if this is coming out sunday your your new ep is uh has just dropped yeah ep drops tomorrow awesome yeah so that is out and about and i'll definitely put the links in the episode notes for that why thank you um, but yeah, man, I know you, uh, you checked into the, the Luke Neal episode a little bit and caught a vibe for this thing. So, you know, that we, we start each episode of this thing with, uh, with talking about our weeks and seeing how, seeing how it's going around the, around the circle. So I figure we let you start this week as our guest. 
Oh, man. Uh, I mean, the past week or past few weeks have been interesting, to say the least. I mean, if I'm online or pay attention to any news, I'm always looking for some type of alternative news because it just seems like there's so many contradictive sources and information out there right now with what's going on. Otherwise, I'm in the studio making music. Uh, hanging out with my lady, cooking a bunch, hanging out with those who are willing to hang out, if I'm being completely honest, because I'm just kind of like, uh, I, I don't know. I look at the science behind it. I'm just kind of like, it doesn't make sense the level we're quarantining at to me. So that's just my opinion on it. Take it or leave it. But so, yeah, Word. I've just been doing my thing normally how I do. Yeah. Are you... Uh... Like if you're hanging out with people, though, it's like still like a pretty small group of people. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody, even if they were like, OK, with hanging out as a group, they wouldn't admit it because they don't care to be, hear it from other people. So, I mean, just with those standards alone, I yeah, doubt the social it. shaming aspect is uh, is real. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I was in the grocery store yesterday and I ran into two of my buddies and I only recognized one of them because of the tattoos on his arm because they're both wearing like handkerchief handkerchief masks up to their nose. And I just pull on their shirt and they're like, hey, what's up, man? And we start chatting. And we're just standing in a circle and the whole time they're looking at me because I'm not I'm the asshole not wearing my mask. I told <laughs> like Dan, you told me the other yeah, day. I told Dan that the other day. I like to be the prick that looks at look at everybody like, yeah, that's right. I'm not, I'm not wearing it. Say something, <laughs> say something. <laughs> and so I was sitting there talking to him and we ended up having this like long in-depth conversation for 20 minutes in the produce section till finally my buddy is like, how many people think we're just assholes for standing in front of the lettuce, like three feet away, all just talking while they're like, all right, come on guys, what are you doing here? <laughs> right? But even them, you know, it's it's fascinating to me how many different opinions people have about it and how open-minded they are and really awakened to bigger issues that are going on here and still kind of going along with the social norm of what we're told through mainstream media just because they don't want to be looked at as like a dickhead. And to me, I, I'd rather you just look at me as a dickhead because I'd rather have a conversation and be like, well, this is why I feel that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... I don't know. And it seems that you you've obviously like spent some time thinking about these things and like done some other research on the subjects to mm -hmm. find evidence that, you know, maybe contradicts things to to yeah. uh, give you reason to do those things. I think yeah, there's give a us your give us your hot take on like sort of why um, cause I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I've, I've read a lot of stuff and, and I also like, do feel like the mass media has been pretty dishonest in their interpretation of statistics oh. and anyone with even just a basic understanding of statistics can be like, what the fuck are you guys talking about right now? Like, Completely. this doesn't make any sense. I so I'm just curious, like some of the, some of the things that maybe you've like been able to poke holes in or, or information that's come across your Right eyes that you've been like, well, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, first of all, I go way, way too deep into it, almost too deep. But just from, you know, surface level is like the WHO and the CDC are giving these numbers, right? But then at the same time, we have medical institutions around the country that are completely letting go of the statistics from the WHO and the CDC because it doesn't match up with theirs. It doesn't match up with their actual, by huge numbers. And right. so I think the, you know, 
I believe it's real. I'm not one of those that I'm like, I don't think it even exists. You know, like, you know, right. if you know that exists, people, yeah. yeah, you know, people right. are people dying. Believe in, like, you believe in viruses as yes. a thing that and exists people in the are world. getting these things, this thing, and it is killing them. But I don't think it's killing them at the rate they say. I mean, Stanford University just put out a study like days ago saying it's killing people less than the flu does and we don't lock up for the flu. So I don't understand why, you know, to me, it's always like, what does it warrant? What's is what hap- what's happening right now? Warrant us going as far as we're going and, you know, pulling out draconian measures to keep us in our houses. And to me, no, because there's tons and, you know, we have scientists out there and PhD, MIT dudes coming out going like, this doesn't make sense what we're doing at all. And then their videos start, you know, a lot of people want to know the truth, it seems like too. So people are actually dialing into their video and watching what they're saying. And these are legit individuals. And then, you know, once it gets over like a million views, YouTube shuts down the channel. Sure. And it's sure. kind of like, what's going on here? Like, what is yeah, the bigger agenda damn, here? Dude. I mean, it's it punk rock Jesus, dude. It is interesting that just at like a basic level, I had this conversation with someone a couple of weeks ago where I was like, you know, the way that they uh, figure out the flu death rate is they look at the number of confirmed cases and the number of confirmed deaths, but then they, they compare the death rate versus the assumed cases of like how many people who actually got it who didn't go to the hospital, which is going to be tenfold the number that did go to the hospital. And right now... They're not re- we're not really factoring in statistically like the assumed cases because we we don't really know how. So there's just a there's so much unknown out there. But one thing that we definitely do know is that um, anybody saying that this is like has like a two to three percent death rate, uh, that is not backed up by science as as from what we have right now. And even if it has like a 0.7% death rate, that's still pretty high and higher than the flu. But um, we just don't know. And the statistics that we have from the CDC and the WHO are, are pretty garbage. Yeah. So that doesn't help um, because they should be sort of the source of truth. And when you dig into what's behind those statistics, it's not great. Um, and so there's a lot of noise out there and it's it's hard to know. What the fuck? And I think a lot of people, myself included, just kind of shrug their shoulders and like, well, what the fuck can I really do about it? I guess I'll just like, you know, right. I guess I'll just shut up and do what I'm like, what I'm told. Yeah. I also just wonder things like, is this, you know, how do we build herd immunity? How do we actually, you know, get through this thing? Because if we see like a second wave, a third wave, a fourth wave, what's worse? This thing just all happening at once, which I know would be a lot of pressure on the, you know, healthcare system and it couldn't handle it. But at the same time, it's like the long run of this thing, if we just keep letting it happen in waves is, I see the repercussions being far worse than. Yeah. Yeah. The the economic repercussions are pretty, pretty staggering. Even just now as it is. Right. For sure. So I guess, you know, some of the idea would be to slow it down enough that to like create the vaccine, I guess, if that's a real thing. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That's where I would, that that's where I'd be nervous too, with the whole vaccine. It's like, when did Bill Gates become like the front man for what we should be doing as far as our health in this situation? Right. And Bill Gates is a smart dude, but like he does not have a PhD in, uh, yeah like microbiology or anything related to uh, global pandemics. Right. So, 
yeah so there's just a lot of things that are fishy about it and it's not just a bunch of like kooks that are coming out like it's insane new world order watch out it's like when you get a lot of these credible sources that are kind of going like what are we doing here and then them speaking out and enough people listening to it their shit gets taken down by what i look at as like kind of a you know technological oligarchy of some sort that we live in yeah, nowadays which it is. twitter and youtube absolutely are because right. they just have the full power as a private entity to be like no we decide what what goes on our platform and we can just take it down if we want to for no reason yeah exactly yeah it's pretty wild and then you got is it like switzerland or sweden sweden that didn't lock down at all right yeah they and that's are, that's really interesting like the only ones kind of yeah, and it's kind of uh, – that's fascinating too because their numbers went up really quick. Their death rates went up really quick. But then now it's all dropping where ours seem to kind of just plateau and do this straight line. And so – and we actually have eight states here in the U.S., all Midwest, of course. But we have eight states here that didn't do shelter in place. I think they did some lockdown situations, but there was no shelter in place. And it was the same kind of thing. It's like numbers went up really quick, but now the numbers are really starting to plummet. So are we just prolonging the inevitable? Because plenty of scientists too are like, you will get COVID it, it, without a doubt. Yeah, everyone's going to get it at some point. So like, do we just let chaos kind of unfold for a little bit and then get back to normal? Or do we stretch this out and let the people who have a bigger agenda behind this thing who are using it for a much bigger agenda that will eventually put more control and more surveillance on us than we've ever seen before just take, you know, go full-fledged? Like, I'm sorry, I death over, I mean, freedom over, or what is the phrase? Uh, give me death or give me freedom. It's, it's some something like, like if you... Uh... Uh, what is it? If you, yeah, what? Oh, if you hold on, I think I got it. If you, if you, if you sacrifice freedom for security, you deserve neither. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's something along those lines. Which is kind of true. It's like, dude, the Western civilization has gotten to the point where, like, we're so scared of death, like it's not a part of life, you know. And sorry, life's finite to begin with, but we've gotten to the point where we're just like, oh shit, man fucking lock it down get in your house and shut your mouth <laughs> you know yeah. it's just like it's crazy to me yeah it's nuts it is nuts and it's it's interesting that um even just to to espouse a view of like um yeah a critical mind towards like everything that's happening people will already just be like oh so what you think it's some kind of 5g bullshit and you're like no i don't no. think it's 5g <laughs> like i'm just saying like can we have a intelligent conversation about how statistics work right um yeah and can we listen to because you're right there are a lot of um people who have devoted their lives to studying this thing that are not in line with the cdc and the, the World health organization and it's not just like a couple quack jobs it's um Legit it's actually a, it's actually like a pretty large number of mm -hmm. of phd scientists that are like questioning whether or not this is the right approach and it's what you know it's what we've picked and so you know fuck i don't i don't know what the what the solution is really but um it is interesting that like yeah there's a lot of like anything in the world um there's a lot of competing information on the internet and it's hard to it's hard to find your way through it yeah it really is yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a rabbit hole to go down to and where that rabbit hole ends up taking you at the end. It's just like, shit, 
I didn't even know I was searching for, you know, elite pedophile rings. Where the fuck did this go? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Here we are. It's heavy shit. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. That truth well, is stranger than fiction. I mean, it's far more intense than any yeah. fantasy you could read. Almost always. Well, yeah. Daniel, how was uh, how was your week? Oh, my week's all right, man. You know, just doing the thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, do that thing, boy. I'm hanging tough, and how you feeling? You I've missing had, folks or what? Um, yeah, dude, I just miss playing hockey. Still, I just want to play hockey. Well, I, I've been praying for you. And I've been I, praying that they open up hockey again, man. And yeah, there's some people I'd like to see. Like, I'd be able to. It'd be nice to like just be able to hop a plane and hang out with some people for the weekend and whatnot. And and uh, oh my have God. that just be like a a normal process of some some degree would be pretty dope but uh it's yeah. whatever man i'm getting a lot i feel like i'm getting a lot a lot of shit done man good and yeah, this, I hope a uh, lot of people are yeah there's there's a few extra hours for me every day and i'm i've been uh i've been pretty productive with them lately um and that's been cool um i've had like this nagging medical thing going on that's not anything of a of, of serious nature but it's been it's been lingering here for a couple months and i've had to do some phone uh doctor's visits for it what and, is it um it has if to do with mind. my uh it has to you know i was thinking about this earlier if this is going to come up and and i just don't really think that there should be you know any shame in regards to discussing something going on with your pisser no, but I've got something going on with my pisser and it's like, mm. it's not crippling or anything, but it can be uncomfortable. And, uh, I've like had some tests done and shit. I'm STD free. Everyone that one night stand <laughs> I spoke about on episode three or whatever one it was, I didn't catch anything. So don't be assuming or judging. Sure. Sure. Backtracking, uh, Backtracking. you know, <laughs> Listen, the people are going to judge as they're going to judge that's not for you to say I can show you I'll post the tests are clean uh, I want to see pictures uh, there's, oh, still, there's, still, there's, there's still moral judgment to be had here Daniel well you know things happen <laughs> and I try to be as safe as possible out there and uh, but anyhow it's been persisting what's going on you have some burning or yeah man it's just like uncomfortable and shit you ever had the clap I've I have not. I've never had an STD that I okay. know of. All right. Anyway, that sounds really bad. That sounds like I've never been tested for an STD. I have been to. Uh, yeah, I'm free. I'm free of it. But. Anyway, it's just an. It's just something that, and it's not even every day, but it just feels like you know, there's a there's a burn and there's an urge to go pee a lot. That just sounds like getting old. Nope, yeah. it sure isn't. <laughs> this isn't. Do you drink a lot of water or what, man? I've been I've been drinking, you know, I drink a, oh. a good amount of water. Yeah, yeah, I believe that. I mean, I don't, and I don't drink any booze or anything. Yeah. So, if anyone like, should be having a problem with their pisser right now, it should be me, not you. Yeah. <laughs> but anyhow, you're, you're just the, used to it, Andrew. So, so the issue is <laughs> is right. that you know, is if you're not in a a situation that is really like serious or dire, they're they're discouraging you from coming into the office. Right. So like my urology appointment got postponed and then put on this, like just a a phone call situation. And the dude told me some things and was just like, "Eh, if you can just like try to hold off for like six to eight weeks on this, like it sounds like 
you're you're cool right now but i don't know it like the last couple days it's it's been bothering me a bit more so i I shot him a message and was just like hey uh, i just want to let you know that these like symptoms are persisting and um increasing in some way so i definitely like want to come in he was just like yeah we'll schedule you six to eight weeks please wear a mask and i'm just like like fuck man like um so I don't know. It's eight like, weeks. Yeah, yeah right. dude. Like so, so it doesn't. From from the checkups I've had and being assessed, no one seems to be that concerned with the situation. Like if it's something, it's not like life threatening. I guess they feel like. No, but um, it might be dick threatening, and that's concerning. Yeah. <laughs> but like, also, it's just like shitty to walk around with something like that on your conscience because I'm just somebody that has like you know, enough medical and mortality anxiety in my life. And, uh, I just, you know, don't want to think I'm walking around with, uh, with some fucking life threatening thing, I guess the whole time. Also more of the anxiety, to be honest with you, is the thought of having them stick. The guy was telling me about the process. He's like, we'll just go ahead and stick a camera up there in your pee hole. And I'm just like, we're going to do what? Oh, fun. Cool. So I'll be asleep for that, right? Yeah, right. Like I'm going like, I'm, I don't know, like, man. No, that, you'll be full awake and you got to look me in the eyes the whole time. I was telling my girlfriend last night, I was like, I think that's more terrifying to me than having like a disease. That yeah. part of it. Like, yeah, <laughs> I agree with you. A camera or something stuck in my dick hole sounds worse than cancer. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I'm just trying to have the courage to go to that doctor's meeting one day and let them stick that thing in my hole and uh, hopefully everything's okay. But um, right. yeah, th- that's been a little bit of a nagging thing. I wouldn't, I, like I said, it's not, it's not life well, crippling. I'm still add- doing all the shit that I'm doing, but it's uncomfortable and it's like not something I want to tell my boss about and stuff if she's just like, hey, what's going on? It's just like, I don't know, man, I've been in pain. Like I'm a little uncomfortable. You know, like almost like the last day. Right. Because of my dick. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I will continue praying for you that you get to play hockey. Yeah, mostly hockey. Mostly hockey. And then I will add your your pee hole and uh, in the impending doom that is the insertion of things into your pee hole. Yeah, yeah. Make I'll sure. pray. I'll pray for all of that. Yeah, I'll Thank make you. sure to envision your dick in my head as healthy as can be. Cool, and I'll yeah. pray. For, I'll pray for London. That it's very generous, London. Yeah, I'll, dude. I'll, 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 I'll might. I'll pray for London that his statistics that the statistics are bullshit and that he does not need a mask out there. Hell yeah. Just so I could feel right and look at everybody and go, <laughs> yeah, remember when you <laughs> scolded me, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Andrew, how's your how's your week going over there? You know, I had a pretty good week. It was my birthday yesterday. Yeah, it was. Um, my, my girlfriend Woo-woo! brought over like a dope-ass uh, salami cheese platter on Saturday that was just like full-on fucking fancy to the nines. And it was super nice out, and so we enjoyed that. And uh, yeah, man, I don't know. It was uh, it was pretty chill. It's got got to spend some good good time in my studio making some music. And yeah, I've just been sort of like enjoying. Honestly, I think the quarantine birthday for me is pretty great because it's like usually my birthday. I sort of just want to celebrate it how I how I want to do it, which is I want to eat delicious things and drink delicious things and. Um, 
Yeah, but I went on some long walks. I went on the morning of my birthday. I went on a uh, a super long drive, which I don't know if that's what the deal is with that. But I was like, what's the fucking harm? I just went through like a long drive, snaking through the West Hills. Um, and yeah, that was super fun. And I sort of know those back roads uh, fairly well because I used to live live up there for a little bit. So um yeah, it's really pretty, and it was a nice day, and yeah, I think uh, this week I'm just feeling grateful for all the love, all the birthday love that I've received from uh, both people in my immediate vicinity and, and those out there and beyond, and uh, yeah, I think just, you know, grateful to still have a job and be able to, uh, yeah, have a backyard to enjoy amidst all this craziness, and have a neighborhood that's fun to walk around in and um so yeah that's been that's been pretty much it pretty pretty simple week but but solid all around nice man yeah i saw this fucking guy yesterday in his backyard i didn't even say happy birthday to him i said i won't i said i won't say it to your face oh that's sweet there was no need because you showed up (laughs) showed up yeah baby i got in line for you that's right all day right my uh my house still smells like burgers because i made burgers for everyone last night so good uh on the like cast iron in my kitchen um and i just like got this i have a pretty nice stove and i got this cast iron like fucking ripping hot and yeah just it was so much burger smoke like it should not be happening outside of a commercial kitchen what i was trying to do commercial burger work within a private home and we paid the price because now it just smells like burgers anywhere you go but i personally i don't hate it i like that and i to me it's like the sweet sweet after smell of my birthday and i'm yeah. gonna do it that's, that's like a- every time i live in a basement so that's like every time i cook fish the whole place smells like fish yeah yeah but i kind of like it yeah man it's a good problem to have i feel like yeah. with the burgers the fish whatever indeed bring it all um well goddamn should we get into this thing? Just yeah. do it. Um, London, let's, yeah. um, you know, you share whatever you'd like to share, um, whatever you're comfortable with sharing, but what is your religious background? So grew up Mormon, uh, like your last guest, uh, Luke it was, right? Yep. Yeah, which was fantastic listening to him. I mean, honestly, it brought back so many memories and it's crazy how much he remembers about like all the intricacies of the LDS church. Um, because he was deep in it. Oh man. He like, when he brought up things like the Melchizedek priesthood, I was just like, what the, Oh yeah. (laughs) Holy shit. It was almost like giving me the strangest flashbacks that I thought I forgot. So yeah, I grew up uh, Mormon, but so my parents, uh, don't, you know, come from Mormon families themselves and neither of them grew up religious. So they kind of became Mormon together, which is my somewhat unique situation. So, wow, that is unique. Yeah. They were chill, um, compared to most other Mormon friends or families I would go over to and how strict their household was. I mean, mine was still definitely a very religious household, but we also lived pretty much in the ghetto. I mean, I grew up like in getting in a street fight almost every day. So then also having that kind of really uppity um, type of religion. Um, sure. It was a, it was an interesting dichotomy to say can you, the least. Can you speak to a little bit like your 
you don't have to go deep into it, but just like your oh, parents' stories of like how they came to be. Because so Mormon get- converts outside of like marrying someone who's Mormon and then converting so that you can marry them. Right. Um, in At least in America. I don't know. That seems rare to me. Yeah. So I feel bad because I don't remember like this major specifics of how they became Mormon together other than. You know, my dad was a touring musician, um, was playing a show in Chicago. That's where he met my mom. They started dating. She jumped on the road with him. They got married. He continued touring. I mean, they pretty much lived on the road for the first five years of their marriage. Had my older brother, had me. Um, But I think somewhere between dating and getting married, my dad was kind of having like spiritual um, questioning in his own life just because it was never there at all. He did drugs. Right, yeah. I hope so. Wrong brownies. <laughs> yeah. But so he he was being visited. I think it was kind of random. And I feel bad saying this only because I don't know if it's exactly correct. But I want to say just like missionaries knocked on his door one day and he started talking to them. Sure. And it was just like perfect storm. So he was trying to find his spirituality. The more He was talking yeah. to the Mormon missionaries. And then my mom kind of started talking to the missionaries at the same time. And then my dad had like a pretty significant event happen in his life where he was just like, I think this is the church um, for me. And so I totally was born into it, grew up in it, grew up in it, went every Sunday until I was about 18. But dude, honestly, like super young age, I remember telling my parents, like, I don't want anything to do with this. Like, sure. no, thanks. Not for me. And it was like, well, you don't have a decision until you're 18. I think they almost kind of hoped I would eventually just be like, you know what, this is the true religion. I will go on my mission when I was 19. But I want to say around 17, after getting as in much trouble as I did, my parents, for lack of better words, gave up in a sense. They're just kind of like, I don't I don't think he's going to go down that path. When you say like a young age, like at what age do you feel like you were that you can remember that you were just like, yeah, no, I don't feel a connection to this at all. So, I mean, kind of always, it's funny you ask that only because the song I just put out a week ago, I say the line in it. Um, I told my mama at four years old, I don't want to be Mormon and I want to drink coffee. And mm-hmm. I literally did. My mom would tell her friends that story all the time. She thought it was a riot. Like, um, I guess at four years old, I used to steal my grandpa's coffee all the time and then ended up telling my mom, you know, that's funny. She, yeah, she caught me and I was like, I don't want to be Mormon. I want to drink also coffee. loved coffee as like a small kid. Oh, loved it. Yeah. So I had the exact same story with my mom, except I just wasn't talking to, I wasn't raised Mormon. So it was just about yeah. me drinking coffee. But, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, so it was sort of just like always a thing, like you were just never... Which yeah. which kind of makes sense when you think about, I guess, um, just cultural upbringings in general and like, like your parents were new to it. It makes right. sense that they would like give birth to a kid who was like immediately just like, what the fuck is this? Whereas like Luke, our last guest, was born into like the OG lineage of Mormonism. So his shit runs back four or five generations. Now you have this sort of like generational stamp on your DNA that's going to like when you come to be as a person, like it's going to be pulling on you for sure. And maybe it just seems like you just didn't really have that. No. Yeah. I, I never did. I, I want to say I tried a little bit for, but mo- for the most part I didn't, I want, I would say like around nine, 10 years old, I was definitely just like, I'm going to do whatever I can to destroy this. And I really did like at a young age, I would go, wow, you okay. know, you'd go in and you'd have the main church meeting and then they would break you off into pretty much age age sections. And I think 
deacons were 12 years old and then they called you teachers at 14s and then you got your priesthood at like 16. I think Luke kind of touched that a little bit. But so when I was a deacon, they bishop first starts like bringing you in the main room and asking you like really personal questions like, do you masturbate? Do you have a girlfriend? Do you do all these things that are sinful? Oh, what? Yeah. And so I would go into this room. Do you masturbate? And every 13 year old boy is sitting there going, no. Yeah, I swear to God, I don't. What is that? Masturbate? Master what? Uh, 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 Yeah. Never. Right. Which was pretty much me. I would like, dude, I was so maniacal when I was a little kid. I remember sitting down and be like, do you touch yourself inappropriate? And I would just like look at, look at him in the eyes and be like, no, no, I don't. Like knowing obviously like, yeah, it's all every time I can get. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, But doing it in a way where it's like, you can't do anything about this. And you also know the truth, which is that I absolutely do. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so yeah, I, would, I like that. I used to do stuff. So when they put you in the classes too, you know, you do another prayer. So you do a prayer in the main, I, I can't remember what the main room is called, but where it's like the entire congregation pretty much. And then mm-hmm. it's like a prayer, you know, people go up, bear their testimonies. Then you do hymns and then close with prayer. Then you go in your individual classes, open with the prayer, close with the prayer where I used to do this shit. And now when I think about it as a doll, of course they knew it was me, but they, you know, they'd start the prayer and be like, dear heavenly father. And I just used, I used to just be in the back. I'd go, God damn it. And it just, <laughs> and it just stopped the whole thing just because I wanted no part of it at all. I even had to do seminary, which is, you know, an hour a day in high school. Um, before high school, right? Yeah. Like before I, it starts. Yeah. So I had to get up early and I used to go into seminary and they opened with a prayer and I put my head down, you know, with my arms folded and, um, fall asleep and not wake up till they said the closing prayer. Man, it's kind of gnarly that you're in a religion where you just, or at least in a family structure, and I think Mormonism is is largely this way, where like while you're under your parents' roof, like that's just, it is what it is. Like you're going yep. to the fucking church yep. every time that you're supposed to go. I feel like, um, like a lot of times in Christianity, like I think earlier on people have the opportunity to just be like, no, I'm not fucking into it. And for some reason there seems to be enough of a looseness there for them to be like, okay, well, you know, as long as they have, they've been baptized and they have their own personal relationship right. with Jesus in some way. So it's fine. They don't need to be a part of the church right now. Maybe they'll come back later. Whereas like Mormonism is a little more orthodox in the sense of like, no, you have to be in the unit. Yeah. And so you didn't have the option to even just like divorce yourself from it enough to say, I don't want to fucking go to seminary at 6 a.m. every day before high school. Right. Like I'm 16. I want to fucking sleep in. Oh, my God. Yeah, dude. And it was I mean, my parents are pretty cool, but it was still just like in the more trouble I got in, it was the more, you know, kind of shoved down my throat. Like, no, we're going. We're going. It's going to. Yeah. Now you're definitely going. Yeah. Well, also, you know, you know, Andrew touching on them being younger in it, too, is like. They probably thought that was like the best thing to like try to get you in line, like believing that this thing was going to like change you or something, you know, and they also probably really struggled with like some social shit at the church being new to it and not being sort of like part of some lineage Um, and having a kid that was sort of like rebellious and wanting and like feeling some social pressure to like, I don't know, because, yeah, they're the like new newer converts and now are have like having this like family that's not falling in line either 
Um, I just imagine there would be some kind of pressure on them to just like really rein it in. Yeah, I think uh, so. As much as they could. I think especially with my mom too, because my mom seemed to be, I would guess was conflicted about it because I was constant entertainment for her too. So so she always got a kick about it. Like I still remember, you know, being a little kid at the dinner table and having church friends over and we're sitting at the table and my mom's just telling these stories about how the crazy shenanigans I would get into and they're all lapping and cracking up. But there was always like a limit that she'd only tell the stories that were somewhat appropriate. The other stuff, it was kind of like, oh, we're not bringing that to the table kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So but she seemed to admire your your truly like childlike spirit. Oh yeah. Of just kind of like what the fuck are you talking about? Like right. what, like whatever, just let me drink the coffee. Yeah. yeah. I got to drink the coffee. London, what about your other siblings? Were um, they like So my older brother, you know, he kind of really stuck with it, you know, abstinence till marriage. He went on his mission at 19 years old to I think it's two years, maybe 21, came back. Um, and it wasn't actually until very recent. I really don't know if it's like my business to tell. I don't think it's a huge deal at all. But um, he didn't leave the church until very recently. And, you know, he's like almost 40 years old. So, I mean, he was always a part of it and heavily a part of it for many years, especially growing up. Yeah. And then my younger brother, I would say followed in my footsteps, but maybe not until he was like a young adult. Then he kind of, um, you know, made his own decisions. I remember he always told me a story about the first time he had sex when he was a teenager. And like, he went in the bathroom afterwards and was just like praying to God for forgiveness. Cause he felt awful about it. And that's the kind of thing that's, uh, installed in your subconscious as a kid, um, for sure. with religion. And it's takes like really valiant effort to shake where even when you come into your own personal spirituality, as you get older, shaking these certain, um, very pinpoint ideologies within religion that have stuck with you for so long is a very hard thing to shake. I think for most people where when I was 16, I just kind of decided I'm like, I'm atheist. I want nothing to do with this. I hate it all. God is bullshit. And then it wasn't until I was about. Well, it sounds like it never really had it. Like if you look at like the sexual stuff, right. It Mm -hmm. never really had a chance to seep into your subconscious in the same way because you were sort of like an unbeliever always with it. Whereas like if you had moments where you were like deeply and and I don't mean to speak for you, but just like kind of comparing your brother's experiences with that, um, like you said, like it seeps into your unconscious in a way that like it's going to just sort of drive your behavior and guilt. Even if you do leave the church and move on to other ideologies and belief systems, you still have the shit that you were like born with and grew up with and was imprinted on you um absolutely and like yeah you could be guilty about masturbating until you're for your whole fucking life like or well into your adulthood even when you're consciously and intellectually like this is fine to do right in mod- in normal amounts you know if you're doing it 20 times a day like obviously you know, don't, but, um, I think that's where I didn't have much of that problem or those guilts because at a young age, I was just like, well, I don't like this. I I don't think I ever necessarily was like, you know, fuck God or any of that stuff. You know, it was just like mainly the religion. I still think the institution. Yeah. It was the institution. I still think I believed in God to a degree, but it wasn't until 16 where I was fed up. I was angsty. I was super punk rock. And I was just like, you know, 
I'm over all of it and I want nothing to do with it. Burn it down. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of claimed, I don't know if I claimed, I I think back then it wasn't even much of a buzzword. I don't think I ever claimed like atheism, but I could look back and be like, yeah, I I definitely got to the point. I was like, it's all nonsense. It's all bullshit. Sure. And then that, that really switched about 21, I, I would say, and finding my own spirituality around then. That's sure. crazy. It's crazy. Uh, you know, like speaking to your brother's experience of having sex with somebody for the first time and then like trying to pray it out. Um, my high school girlfriend had that like a similar experience and she like called the pastor Whoa. at a church after Damn. and like told them about or, or put you on is, blast. This is what she told me that, that she like had called, like she was just very upset and, uh, like, feeling guilty about it and uh she she called the the pastor and talked to him about it and uh i was just like whoa this is heavy this is this is wild because i was not uh you know i was it it was never a fuck authority thing with me or like fuck the religion necessarily or any anything to do with the institution so much i was just like I I think I just like tied my wagon to other shit that like made me feel good about life and like nothing of the the teachings were not connecting with me. I just like wasn't when I went to church, I was just spaced the fuck out. Like I'm thinking about all the other (laughs) shit that I would rather be doing right now. And whether that was video games or playing hockey or whatever the fuck, like it wasn't being in that church. So there's no way that like anything was really ever connecting to me in some sort of like church service for the most part, like 99% Mm. of the time it was a miss for sure. (laughs) You know? So it's, uh, that's interesting. Um, so when, when do you like, you said like around 21, you kind of start finding your own spiritual path and shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Somewhere around there. I started playing uh, music with Judd. And um, so Judd ori- originally was born and raised in Portland. And then we met in Arizona where I was living at the time. And he went to college there. And uh, he he was pretty hardcore Christian because he went to I'm trying to think it's called like Grand Canyon um, College. Grand Canyon University. University. Yeah. Christian school. Yeah, and uni- it's in Arizona. Yeah. Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up, um, so first couple years on the road and then Anaheim and then Arizona and then Portland for the past six. Okay. Yeah. So most of your like Mormon years were either Orange County or, but largely like Arizona. Exactly. Yeah. Got it. Cool. Just curious. Yeah. So 20, so yeah, I started, um, hanging out with Judd. We met at a rock climbing gym, um, and then started, making music together. We moved in together like six months later, kept making music. And it was interesting because at first he was still very like by the Bible kind of Christian would always kind of tell me these um, stories and how he felt about life and how he felt about God and everything. And I was just like, everything was a joke to me. That's how how I've always dealt with everything. Kind of cosmic humor is always making a joke out of everything. So anytime he'd get into that, I would just immediately like try to either poke holes or poke fun at it. And then, um, I but he was, he was cool with that. Like you guys were still, oh, yeah. even though you were kind of just like, yeah, it was totally yeah, in fun. Like he's like, all right, full, but I just did it. You know, it was, yeah. it was not malicious by any means. Sure. 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 Yeah. So yeah, we lived together for a long time actually making music, but I want to say that first year was a 
huge part about developing my current spirituality and really it continues to grow. I think I'm always kind of, I don't know if changing my mind is the right um, phrase, but just uh, evolving my aspect of what spirituality is for me and what it has to do with uh, my community and, you know, the world and the the universe as a whole. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of psychedelics formed that in my 20s too, where it, you know, heavy amounts of psychedelics while thinking about those parts of my life and having things that really you could not explain the way they happen happening and being like, Oh shit, this is very real. And I can't deny it. Speaking my language now. Can't deny it. Can't ignore it. I have to take it. I either have to deliberately ignore it and use willful ignorance to not go this deep or I have to take it in and see how it applies to my life and what it turns into. And it was intense, man. What do you feel like were some of the first like psychedelic insights that you had? I mean, that's sort of the same around, around the same age frame that I started experimenting with psychedelics. I'm just curious, like, you know, whether it's a breakthrough or even just like some kind of download that you got from an acid trip or a mushroom trip or whatever that you just where that just kind of stuck with you and like maybe changed you. Yeah. I want to say mushrooms were the first one where it started to change how I just looked at everything in its entirety and showing me aspects of myself, my ego self, the part of me that was pure love and connected to everything. And Mm -hmm. I think there's been two times in my life where it's been like complete out of body experiences and feeling the um, presence of God was unlike anything I was ever told it would be or what it was like. And really it was contradictive to everything that was taught to me in the box that it was taught. And when it showed up like that and it loved me, you know, so unconditionally and I felt accepted in a way I never felt before. Yeah. It changed it all of a sudden made me like willing to be a part of it and like want to know more of it instead of just like, nope, nope, stay away. Is that experience of being loved unconditionally by God in a psychedelic state, which I've also experienced for me, like one, it's so far beyond language Big time. and two, it's way more inclusive. Like I think we think of at least in like in American English, like, the idea of being loved unconditionally is just like, okay, well, like no matter what you do, like, you know, your mom's still going to love you. Your dad's still going to love you. And that level of unconditional love was like, not only that, but like, I'm also going to scoop you up and bring you into the fold to experience the same level of unconditional love and like be tethered to it in this beautiful way and like become it in this beautiful way. So that level of love of like allowing you to step outside of yourself and become love itself. Like you're talking about being kind of pure loving awareness or whatever. Um, Yeah. It's so, it's so hard to put words to it, but it is for me, it was like super transformative. Yeah. It's, it's, I've always described the point where ego death happens and acceptance happens as being ferocious beauty because it's completely terrifying and it's almost the only thing that's ever made sense to me when like a lot of religious dogma preaches um the fear of god 
but the context mm-hmm. of which they preach it is always like fear god he's judging you you better watch right. your shit no but it's more like a reverence like a deep yeah reverence. it was just like holy shit this is intense i whoa 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 yeah, whoa yeah. and then you for sure and then you're not really yourself anymore like after that there was no london anymore there was no i think that was the breaking down of the ego is now being kind of welcomed into this space where i was just as much of a part of it as i was acknowledged and sure and at the same time it's funny to say that because it's it wasn't about me if that makes any sense it's it's such a strange um strange thing for sure no it was about the one thing that's pulling that's pulling on you right which is which again you're a part of but in loving you it's allowing you to merge with it in a way as opposed to like remain separate from it um yeah which is pretty trippy yeah Big fucking time. psychedelics man i know yeah it's so a- wild it's uh, it's i didn't do that shit till way later in like uh late 20s no like, kidding yeah i might have even been 30 oh when, wow yeah that's i went late. the first time maybe maybe like the last couple of years of the 20s but it was uh yeah it was a later experience for me i like mm-hmm. really had to uh i needed to hear a lot of people's experiences with it in in the non-propaganda way you know yeah right. for sure dude dare <laughs> dare will drill some shit into you yeah around what psychedelics are about to do to your mind and it was never like so much that i just i think i did understand from a pretty young age though that it was a slippery slope you know with some of the shit so in what I way just like going like too far like maybe maybe dipping into it like more than just as a tool like oh yeah at certain points and just like using it all the time and uh yeah i just feel like that's so hard to do on with psychedelics to like use it all the time especially if if we're talking like mushrooms or dmt or acid or something those when you go deep on those experiences and then like you finally take a sober breath your first thought isn't like yo we should do that again you're yeah, like, yeah, nah, I'm good on that for a little bit. That was some heavy lifting. For sure. Yeah. I do I do feel like I have encountered the fried people out there though that just seem to be like pretty went too much fried didn't, from it. But like didn't know and how not to even, hang up the phone. Not even so much uh, like with that shit, go. but like with with the uh the non psychedelics. Like I I always saw like it's like, oh, that that can turn real quick into something like like a real serious problem. So, oh yeah, sure. Uh, get dark. But then I like I just started hearing all these these wild psychedelic experiences from people and uh, the the perspective that it seemed to have uh, given them in this kind of shift. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I always thought that the was more, the, the point of them too. You know, is like if you could have a profound experience on psychedelics, or you take a high dose of them to where it it does get you, you know, at least close enough to a complete out-of-body experiences you have to you can't stay on top of the mountain you know you have to come back you have to dwell in the valley you have to apply that to your life and really Mm -hmm. think about the decisions the choices you make what you put out into the world and see the larger picture and absolutely yeah yeah i don't think i was necessarily ever seeing or sold the uh or being sold the spiritual side of it you know 
think it was more of just hearing about like the it's rec- a party drug the recreational experiences yeah right. and, which and, is that's how it was sold to me in the beginning as well and the yeah. first trip i ever had on mushrooms i was like okay so i'm having a very bad time at this party uh oh, i feel geez. very uncomfortable right now and like as i you know went on to explore it more i'm like yeah that was the worst possible place to take mushrooms for the first time like yeah right it's not, it's not welcoming at all and it's not what it's it's not what it's for especially in that in those doses like maybe if you take a small dose yeah if you're gonna take like a solid you know two and a half to five grams you don't want to be it should be a ceremony i it mean should be a sure. sacred ceremony yeah. yeah, I don't I don't want to say what it should necessarily be for anybody. Like if you can walk out into the world blasted on 5 grams of mushrooms then fucking more power to you. You're you're into you're in tune yes. to Which, some shit that I don't even know what's what's <laughs> happening there. Um but for me what I've learned from, you know, doing a few heavier trips is that like I really do like my space and it, it for it to be like this if there's if it's going to be a group setting like I want it to be like a pretty intimate yeah. experience and like know that i can be vulnerable and however i'm going to you know um, yeah, for like sure. setting is so important be in this thing like i want every great every great psychonaut every great psychonaut says set and setting yep you know oh yeah like you got you gotta have that if you're gonna go deep on it then you gotta have set and setting locked in otherwise you might not be okay yeah. Uh, and you might you might come out the other side okay, but like the actual experience yeah, man. is gonna be hellish. I mean I definitely yep. uh Andrew and I did a pretty cool trip out in Joshua Tree and uh yeah, that was like an experience I was like I was very thankful to be around people that I was really comfortable with because there was just like I went deep that day and there was a, a point of it that got heavy. You yeah, know? and I like mm-hmm. I needed to like ground myself. I need to go take a nap in the dirt and shit. Yeah. But like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, that's what's so interesting too about taking, um, psychedelics, you know, to that degree. And then, especially coinciding with what your guys' podcast about with the Bible and everything, because I remember it's like reading the Bible before that was just, so it's just like, what's this jargon about? And then coming back and having kind of a new light and a new aspect. And then like really reading it with an open heart instead of an analytical mind changed everything and how, and what it's Absolutely. the message of it and what it's trying to say and pulling the wheat from the chaff was a lot easier than, you know, right after than it was before. I couldn't yeah. agree more. It's crazy. So it's crazy. On along those lines then, just to to end this tangent and pick up where we were, um, take us through sort of like, you know, now you're in your early twenties, you've had some psychedelic experiences and you're you're kind of exiting your kind of like nihilistic like uh, nothing means anything and it like it might as well all just be a joke phase uh into something else like talk a little bit more about that so i think once i had a couple profound experiences where it put me in a position to now accept uh you know god or otherwise just the grander scheme of things in the you know, the soul of humanity, it, I think everything kind of shifted. And for me, it's weird. Cause then I still feel it today where it's like, I always feel like I'm kind of drifting somewhere between an ethereal realm and this reality half the time, because in a sense, like 
to say synchronicities happen my in my life is an understatement or to say mm-hmm. like profound coincidences happen is an understatement there's always and i've said this but i remember i get in a conversation with my buddy and he's like well you know you got to really listen to the voice because god whispers to someone i was like well i'll tell you what man god may whisper to somebody yells at me and Sure. I always felt that way because shit just always constantly happens on a daily basis. Well, at least on a weekly basis where it's just everything connects and shows me something much bigger and kind of guides me down a path and goes, hey, sure. look through this window right here. Because if you don't, then you're not going to see what's going to open up for you in the next month. And sure enough, I'll look through that window and something kind of happens and yeah. Without getting well, into too many. Interesting that you bring up synchronicities because you're talking about how you met um, your friend. What was his name again? At the rock climbing gym. Judd. Judd. Um, and just sort of like what you're talking about. I'm like, oh, man, I feel like you could be describing an alternate version of my life if I had been hmm. born into a Mormon family, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, like just that just sounds like some shit that I would do. And like, I also am a rock climber now. I love going, I miss going to the rock climbing gym fucking heavy right now. But, um, yeah, sort of that magical experience of like meeting someone in, cause I actually, the, he moved, but, um, the dude who was playing bass in my band, um, for the last like couple years, I met him in a rock climbing gym and it was sort and he oh, ended, up, ended up becoming one of my like closest friends. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, even just that, having sort of that own little like micro synchronicity as I'm talking to you and being like, huh, that's funny. I've, yeah. <laughs> I've also forged that. Um, but yeah, life is, life is interesting in that way where you can meet these really important people through totally non-important circumstances. Yeah, it's, a, it, it's pretty insane. And, and for me, it seems to happen on a level that's, I almost have to tell other people in my life about the story to like, find real conviction in it because sometimes I'm just like, what did that, did that really just happen? Then I'll tell my buddy and they're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, why does that seem to happen? Uh, Can you give us an example of, I'll give you, I'll give you the most, I'll give you the most recent. That's pretty trippy. So, um, and this relates to, uh, dimethyltryptamine. And, uh, so in DMT, you know, if you don't know a whole lot about it, pretty much the furthest, furthest end of it, you eventually see these beings, these entities, and you communicate with them. And on my DMT trips, they look like jesters, you know, these kind of trippy, long-gated, circus-esque clowns that are fucking with you. And I mean, Joe Rogan's kind of talked about it where they laugh and they kind of flip you off. And when you try to analyze them, they're like, oh, here we go. Yeah, good luck. Good luck. And what they're trying to get you to do is let go of yourself and stop trying to um, just be there, just be there, be present and let what's happening happen. And so, you know, I had a few of these um DMT trips where I just came back with a very strong message, which would change my whole life for the next year, you know, and, um, recently, so this was probably a few weeks ago, uh, kind of when the whole COVID thing unraveled, I got in a conversation with my buddy who's more like strict Christian. And we ended up getting in this, like, it wasn't that heated of an argument, but just like a debate on what like God is. And eventually ended up with, you know, a major disagreement of like what it means to worship or pray or believe in a God or what is God or the true God, whatever that is. And, uh, it was fascinating. So I get off this phone call and I'm kind of like, it sticks in my head and I'm just thinking about it a a bunch. And I'm like, man, is, 
yo, if, if I'm on this like wrong path or everything I have, my trajectory in life and my spirituality is so far off that I need a gut check and need to fucking take 10 steps back, you need to tell me. Something needs to tell me. So I was kind of like reaching out like, yo, tell me because mm-hmm. I can't decide for myself. Mm-hmm. And um, about a, two days later, I'm FaceTiming with my niece and I have all these like creepy masks I wear for cult crimes and doing videos and shit. And they're to express sh- certain versions of my ego. And so I'm wearing these masks and they're creepy, but my niece loves them. And this is like a little five-year-old, you know, and she's like mm-hmm. petting me through FaceTime and whatever. And I'm wearing this like weird bird doctor mask. And my sister-in-law all of a sudden hits me up on Instagram. She's like, how did I never know about cult crimes? I see the, I see the FaceTime video with, you know, her daughter, my niece. And she goes, I ran into this like uh, psychic a week ago or something. And I hope it's okay that I tell – I always feel bad when I'm telling other people's story, but whatever. Fuck it. Um, it sounds It sounds like it's okay. Yeah. It sounds like it's and okay. So she, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Andrew it's said funny. it was okay, so, so it's probably fine. That's great. So she's telling me, she's like, oh, it's it's crazy because I ran into this psychic who kind of tell, told me um, I have a spirit guide that looks like a bird humanoid. And then I see you in this mass, this bird mass with my niece. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's trippy. Anyways, long story short, she starts. She asked me, "Do you have you ever heard of Hayoka?" And I was like, "No, I've never heard of Hayoka." And so Hayoka, Hayoka uh, transcribes as the sacred clown. And Native Americans believe in these as spirit guides, like way back in the day, and they still do today. And these spirit guides would show up to them in visions and kind of um, use duality and cosmic humor to express certain parts of the universe that they may not have uncovered and show things about themselves. And so she's like, yeah, she goes, you have to read this article because everything about the article reminds me of you. And so I'm reading through this article, right? And everything. And I'm just like, yep, that's how I feel about my life, about music, people, what I do, my philosophy. I'm like, this is a trip. I totally identify with these Hayoka beings, these um, spirit guides, if you will. And as I'm going through it, the article is using random pictures from Google images to depict what sacred clowns look like. And I get about halfway down and all of a sudden there's this picture from my good friend's art gallery 10 years ago based off of what you would wear in a post-apocalyptic situation. So the whole art gallery was just like costumes and shit, but Mm -hmm. they were using it to depict this sacred clown. And at the time I had dreadlocks and we had cut my dreads off and he tied my dreads into one of these costumes and that was the picture. So here, someone is saying there's these Hayoka, these sacred clowns that remind me they of remind you. remind me of you, yeah. I totally identify with the article. And then there's a picture from 10 years ago, randomly, from my buddy's art gallery of the image that my dread is sewn into it. So literally, my DNA is in this depiction of a sacred clown. So wow. it's, sh- it's shit like that. And that happens like, one, you know maybe once every couple months where I'm just like, what is going on here? Something that yeah, was trying to that's talk to me. Wild. Yeah. That's pretty wild. That's pretty wild. Yeah. So to me, it was kind of something saying, you know, no, you're, you're on the right path. Stay on this. Keep doing this. Don't. I like that. I like to think of the synchronicities as like, a, they're always a nudge. They're a nudging towards either a, a confirmation of like, keep going or like maybe it nudges you in a slightly different direction. And I feel like in this case, it's an obvious nudge of like, like you're saying, like you're on the right path. Right. But I think sometimes people encounter these synchronicities where they're like, what the fuck? And then what do I do with that? And it's like what you do is you like start to change your life. Yeah. That's what that's what it's trying to tell you. 
yeah, it's just something speaking volumes. And I think honestly, it just, it comes down to the individual. I think you have to put, you have to, you have to put those things into practice. Like you would do anything. Like you want to get good at drums. You want to get good at football. You want to be a, a good speaker. Like you practice it every day. So with spirituality, it's like, people don't make it a practicality. It's like, you should be practicing it every day, whether that's meditation, prayer, yoga, whatever that is, you should be doing something every day. If you want to be in tune with yourself, your spirit, or figuring out more about that certain subject, I guess. Sure. So you've, I mean, you've touched on it a little bit, but kind of pull us into, uh, like where you've landed now. Um, you know, going through several, like spiritual transformations from growing up Mormon and then kind of being the punk rock atheist and then kind of dipping your toes into some, like the more like kind of undefinable, like weird psychedelic spirituality and, and like where you've come into now that you're like in sort of like mid adulthood. I think, you know, it's always shifting, but for the most part, it's like, I'm, I'm not religious. I can't really subscribe to any uh, religion, although I read about many of them all the time, and I think all of them have validity and truth. I think there's also allegory in some of it, and, and um, you know, a lot of mysticism we don't understand fully. And I mm-hmm. think there's some shit that's just like literal rules and how you should live your life. And I try to just take each per- part of it and look at it as a whole instead of dissecting each individual part and preaching to someone, well, this is what it means, which I think we find ourselves, you know, a lot of people anyways, find ourselves in that situation where we're like, well, read uh, Matthew three, four through six, and you'll see you, you're, you know, whatever they're right. use a very specific thing where, well, you can find a scripture on the other side of the Bible that kind of puts it into context because I don't think you should be really preaching anything out of context of the whole. So I tr- right. I try my best to live my life that way. I don't know if I do necessarily. We're all flawed human beings. And so I also know that part, but I think I'm always just trying to learn. I do believe in God. I don't know what God is exactly or what God looks like, but I've definitely felt the connection to a source, to a very divine and pinpoint source. Sure. Um, and... You know, I think I think some other things I'm still always learning and changing my mind on. But I I think religion's always kind of been out of the book for me. But I try my best. Yeah, seems like it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. From the age of four, you're just like fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I might be cool with God, but I don't like all this ceremonial bullshit. Right. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I think maybe that's you a, do like some of the ceremonial bullshit. I do bullshit. like some like, of this, dude. I, dude, I do. I think that's what cult crimes is for me. I think uh, it's me getting back in touch with my childhood. I think it's me with the new ideas in my mind as an adult and having fun, enjoying myself, but also trying to give off subliminal messages uh, through a grander scope. I guess. Yeah, I think so, like some of the ceremonial shit as far out as some of it can be is is the stuff that's like very interesting and like the intent that goes into a lot of that when used in the right way or just like not used as some like weird power dynamic is, right. is pretty cool. Like my I've never grown up in a family that prays before every meal, but my grandparents always did so anytime we were having a meal with them we would always like do a prayer and i lived with them for the a few years when i first moved up to portland and uh 
just i don't know that acknowledgement and shit i think is like comes from a cool place sometimes oh, with yeah. the right with the right people you know and it's just like oh man like i never usually have any any sort of like situation where like i grab food from somewhere or make food for myself and then just like uh I'm stoked I have this. It's just like, no, I'm going to put this in my mouth right now. Like this is what's about to happen. Yeah. That, uh, that form of gratitude kind of gives you, humbles you a bit. And I think that's the beauty about uh, religion and culture merging. And really they've never, they've always been uh, congruent with each other in the fact of tradition. Yeah. I don't know. Prayer was just always seemed like this one dimensional thing to me that like had to happen on your knees like i don't know like you had to like be talking to god somehow and now it's like this completely different thing where i'm just like if i'm just like spending a lot of time thinking about something like that is prayer in in some way you know like thinking about it intentfully um yeah i don't know it's uh it's that whole like have you ever have you ever heard of the book conversations with god i have not it's super interesting the way it's written out. The Audible, so I read this when I was like 21 and I thought it was really fascinating, but then um, listened to the Audible recently. And it's pretty cool the way it's kind of worked out because it's almost like someone's Is just, Morgan Freeman the voice of God? Because if not, I don't want to <laughs> I listen. wish that, I, I know, that was the only disappointment. I was like, this doesn't sound like Morgan Freeman. <laughs> this bullshit. Yeah, once again, I was duped. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, the audio version is cool, though. Yeah, it's super cool. It's it's neat because it's kind of what you're talking about, Dan, where it's like someone's just kind of asking questions in their mind and putting it back, putting it out there. And then there's this kind of voice coming back at him. And it's just this it's kind of what we're doing. It's just this conversation and trying to figure out but it's probably much more in tune with itself, you know, in the way psychedelics are where you don't need so much mm-hmm. language or you don't stumble over your wording. You kind of just, yeah. everything's fluid and fluent. Isn't that the trip about psychedelics is that most of it is a feeling, right? It's not like a thought. It's not like a, it's like a deep feeling understanding and that's why it can't be put into language. Yeah, And that's the most truest language is feeling. Right. I, right. And so conversations with God, it would be, it would be a tough book to write because most of the conversations you're going to have with God are not rooted in language. Yeah, they're experiential. It's one of actually my favorite parts in the book where he's kind of having this conversation with God. But he's having a, he's he's saying, you know, asking God what it means to pray or I don't remember exactly. It's been a while, but he's kind of saying like, yo, what is it? How am I supposed to talk to you and how am I supposed to mm-hmm. pray to you? And God's pretty much saying back to him like, you know, you humans get so embedded in the word and in the dialogue that when I reach out to you straight through experience, you will look at the experience as being false because it happens to contradict with the word you've been preaching your whole life when I'm giving you direct solace experience. And I was just like, yep, it it rang true for me. I was just like, yeah, exactly. For sure. That's, that's like Jesus's story. Yeah. you know through a lot of it right um yeah but i do i really just like the just the whole god is an experience like thing and then like tapping into an energy or divinity you know and it just being this ever-changing thing yeah and not just being this fucking this presence in the sky or whatever yeah it seems Um, it seems because it's such a big idea as humans we always want to take it stick it in a box 
Yeah, wrap our minds around right. it. Right, and then we say, this is how you're supposed to follow Sue. And it's, it, it's fascinating to me. It's like, whoa, so you're really trying to take something that is not confound and not constricted and say, this is exactly how it works. And that's always made, that's never made any sense to me. I'm just like, well, and this is why, this is why God breaks down with the scientific method is in my mind, or at least in, in my, my heart and soul, I guess would be a better way to, to put it. God can only be experienced. Um, like God can only be experienced. Like that's it. It can't be, it's not something that we can know with our minds. You can only experience God and to experience God is only to experience a piece of it, but like there is no knowing of it. It's just like you can experience a piece of God from time to time. And, and over time you start to integrate that more and more into your life. Um, but the knowing of God is never there. Mm. It's like completely non-existent. So that's where, you know, you pull in the scientific method or even you just pull in like our culture today and, and, and a, especially a religion like Mormonism that is going to take it like to the extreme and say, we just have the answers. Like you want to know who God is? God was a savior of another planet who then became the God of our planet and he lives on his own like paradise planet somewhere else. We can't see it, but he's there. Like mm-hmm. that's a preposterous like thing to put forward but also it is just a direct answer to what is god right like the mormons are just like no no no, we know what is god and like what happens when you die it's like well there's all these celestial realms and like you work your way through them and depending on what you did through your life you're going to land in these different areas Um, and it's interesting you bring that up because i do still think there is an analytical side to it but I only I could only really reference those when there is something that mirrors it in another part of the world or in another time where like so what you're talking about with um, Mormon religion and when it comes to like the three tiers of the uh, of heaven I think it's like uh, mm-hmm. telestial terrestrial and celestial if I remember right I'm I'm sure this is where we need Luke to just like fucking come yeah. in for a minute and tell us how it is you're not considering the Melchizedek order yeah. <laughs> That'd be so sick if we just had like uh, like a very like factual, reliable person from yeah. each religion. Oh to my sit god! On we each just have like a button on the like, right that just blinks hey. red when we're wrong about something. We're like, oh shit, Luke's Luke's coming in. Luke's coming in. He's gonna tell us what's up. But um, it's uh, one of the things I found really interesting out. when it came yeah, to same. the Mormon religion and the same tiers of the kingdom. Uh, oh yeah, London. London we, we we lost, lost you. you. Oh. Word. Tight. All right. So the, I think where I left off is you were talking about um, the Mormon celestial kingdom of what heaven is and the analytical parts of the Bible that like really kind of, I don't know, question your mind when it comes to the more like solidified nature of what it all means. And one thing I found fascinating is that these three realms that um, Mormonism kind of talks about when it comes to heaven is mm-hmm. o- almost mirrors what the Tibetan Book of the Dead talks about when it comes to the time of death and getting to the sure. afterlife. Like and there's it's, a bardo, bardo similar to like a purgatory. Like. Right. So I think there's all these things that happen throughout history that have to do with like the historical religious nature of God or the analytical part of God that 
the ones I think you could kind of look at for source material and being very literal is when they mirror each other and they're completely different cultures and timelines throughout um, mm-hmm. history. Those are the times I'm like, okay, I'm going to think a little differently about this. Maybe like the whole. Well, Noah- I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I'd love to hear what with, you think on that. With Mormonism, though, um, it does seem like Joseph Smith was borrowing from a lot of different kind of ancient things and mashing them together, which at the same time, like any religion is also a mashing together. We talk about it on the, on this last episode of like even Judaism is a mashing together of like proto religions before that. Yeah, like, I would just wonder sort of this like source thing that people are pulling from, but that goes to your point of like, yeah, when you discover something in like South America versus the Middle East and they sort of like match each other, then you're like, or like Native Americans and like, you know, Buddhism or something. And you're like, well, what the fuck? Those are super similar. Right. Is that sort of and, what you're and- talking about? Yeah, and if it is a myth, then why it is why is it so important to retell retell the story? So I have to get, I have to like look at it two ways. Where so with Joseph Smith and Mormon, sure, because could he have stolen it? Yeah, but where would he have gotten the knowledge and source material of the Tibetan Book of the Dead with where he was? Sure, and you know what I mean. So I have to think about that, and then let's say he did. It was. Com- it was completely jacked. What about that was so important to retell in his religion? Sure. You know, so sure. those are always two parts of it I kind of take into consideration. Interesting. Yeah, you, that it, it must you, have like really compelled him to yeah. want to fucking retell this story or he saw right. Right. something in it. London, do you uh, do you read or are you familiar with like Joseph Campbell or Carl Jung? Big time. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I feel like both those cats are like super keen on this idea of like there is like a core mythos. Right. Yeah. Joseph Campbell especially. Carl Jung. But Carl Jung talks about it even in just like the collective unconscious of like and it'll show itself in symbols. Joseph Campbell is more talking about like humans keep telling the same story over and over Mm -hmm. and it has to mean something. And Carl Jung is like fucking cultures keep seeing the same symbols over and over in their goddamn dreams and they mean something and they've created their own religions and um yeah i don't know that just sort of ties hand in hand with what you were just talking about um but it is really fascinating that like there does seem to like to me uh when you get into like especially getting into like the carl young stuff um but joseph campbell too like like for me Going really deep on Carl Jung is one of the things to me that like has sort of like solidified the absolute existence of, I don't know if I would necessarily call it God, but of some, of some source, something bigger, whatever you, whatever name you want to put to it. Right. But something more than just this reality. Like I cannot call myself a scientific materialist after going as deep on Carl Jung as I have. Right. Because once you do, you're just like, the evidence is seems very, very clear. Even from a scientific standpoint, it's like you, you would be a fool Especially to from ignore. a scientific standpoint. Yeah, you'd be a fool to ignore all of this shit. And when you go all the way through history, like, it's all there. Yeah, Ever the fact present. that we're building material that 
computes off of quantum computation just shows you like this may have been a theory 20 years ago but now we're building devices that are based off of the very nature of this theory so it's no longer theoretical and i think all that you know essentially is the same thing as like the energetic field of where this all comes from so to me it's kind of like the artist painting sure the tabla rasa or whatever you want to call it yeah yeah oh yeah heavy the Akashic field. The Akashic field, big time, yeah. We're really, Earth in the three-dimensional realm and all of matter and material is kind of like the drawing on the piece of paper to the ethereal realm, to these higher dimensions. And we take it so serious that we, we, we sure. like, we ground ourselves so deeply in it that the material becomes more important to us than where it came from. Where it came from. And it's like we we disregard the artist now, right. although we look at our world and we now we create false idols. We go, oh, I love this celebrity so much because they made this piece of art. And if you kind of reflect that in our very nature and how we think about God and the universe and spirituality, it's so hypocritical because it's like, well, then why don't you? It, it kind of shows the same thing. Why don't you just why don't you just worship the painting? You worship right. the self. You worship the self. You worship matter. Right. You say this is all that there ever was and ever is. And when it's gone, it's gone and it's all done. But then we also talk about like ideas of infinity and it's like, what, what you can't, that can't be the same sentence. Like, you know, yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm curious what your, um, what your position is on this. And we've talked about this a, a number of times on this podcast, but since you're a musician and a songwriter, um, you know, sometimes I feel like the, the best things that I write, whether it's a full song or just a riff or whatever, like it seems to be something that, that I just was sort of tapped into and it just kind of came to me. And whenever I try to, even though I'm a studied musician and like, I understand music theory and if you, yeah, I could just sit down and write, you know, if you're like, I just want a good piano riff. That's like this vibe. I can give that to you. Right. I can just do it. Cause I understand music theory enough to just do it. But I can also do a version of it at a later date where I'm sort of tapped into the source or whatever, or God, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And that version is always feels very inspired. Um, and I always know it when I have it, like, cause it's just something that comes to me. And I'm curious what your experience is as a, as a music creator with that sort of concept. Yeah. That, that experience is kind of a, without a doubt kind of experience. It's that, you know, that, you know, that, you know, kind of thing. And there's no intellect wrapped around it. It comes through, it speaks volumes and then it shows itself like a mirror to you. And it looks back at you and you're going like, yeah, that was it. That was it. Huh? For sure. But then when you reflect on it, you're like, where the fuck did that come from? Right. What was that? Where, what was that moment that I let it just speak through me? And that's what it is. It's a speaking through, you know, right. now we apply the word genius to I now. He is a genius. I am a genius. She is a genius, which is very interesting because I think um, the the origin of the word genius is Latin and genius is something that works through you. It's not it's like something. A verb. That, yeah, it's not something so it's, that it's you are. So it's less that you are a genius, and more they were being a genius in that moment. Yeah, I think. Meaning uh, they were tapped into something in that moment. Yeah, Latin genius, attendant spirit present from one's birth, innate ability of inclination, is the origin of the word. And I always wow. thought 
Yeah, I always was like, huh. So it literally contains to the spirit, the overall spirit. And so you're tapping into this spirit and you're letting it speak through you as you being the vessel, not mm. you being the genius. That's never right. where the word came no, from. No, you're the vessel. Yeah. And I think that's exactly like... That's exactly what I'm talking about. That that experience of feeling like you are the vessel creating something where then you like listen back to it. Or if you're a painter, you look at it or whatever it is, some work of art and you look at it and you go, fuck, I didn't make that. Like I made it, but I didn't consciously make it. Right. Something else just came through me and like then I made it, um, which then sort of to me just says like, all of like inspired art, any like legit inspired art is just a mirror of God because it's what God, it's God pouring through people. Yeah, um, absolutely. Is, you know why I think art is so important. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Christian bands are usually very forward about that happening at their shows saying how uh, they're doing this is in Jesus's name and this is uh, Jesus's word speaking, you know, speaking through our songs. It's like flowing through them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yes, brother Dan. Yes. yes. Tell me more. Yes. yes. Tell me more. Uh, they say, if you have not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart, then you can't listen to this music with an open heart. <laughs> <laughs> with an open fart. Or even open ears, because we're going to just fucking plug that shit up. If you're not yeah. That's a, that was always like a fascinating fascinating thing to me too. It's like worship music always felt like the most stale shit ever. I was like, this is God's music for real. Like, dude, yeah. dude is God boring. should be able to do better than that. Yeah, he is boring as fuck. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> yeah, but so are his followers, and that's sort of the thing. That's why you need. Because I grew up, uh, I grew, I learned how to play music playing worship music. Um, oh, interesting. And but I grew up in like a very big like mega church in Colorado oh. so like if I was playing in the main band we were doing six services a weekend to like 1500 people a service holy shit so it was a full fucking production like everyone has in-ear monitors we've done like crazy amounts of rehearsals there's a green room like it's a full-on like crazy concert experience and you're performing to all these people and the music that we played was definitely not open the eyes of my heart lord it was like it was some shit that was it was very poppy right it was all just like you know one five six four whatever but um it was emotionally like moving yeah for, especially to people who didn't know music and like were sort of just like normal listeners or whatever um but the music certainly seemed to have like a power which is why i was drawn to it because i could see it move a group oh, and of I, 1500 2000 people like move every single person to like be in sync with each other which was and i'm sure such I'm, a trip i'm sure it was i think that's you know innate in us as well as like when you commune as a you know when everyone gets together and then you apply song and dance, like that is right. when the spirit becomes present. Like and no I matter think you're what so it is. Right. That it's clearly, it's more a function of that than the actual music because you look at any culture and it's like, well, they were doing the same thing just with different music. So like for other cultures, it was just drum circles. Yeah. But those rhythms were enough 
you, everyone commuting around those rhythms and dancing to them and joining in on them was enough to like invoke the spirit in them to bring them to the divine in some way yeah. um, through that through that community huh far out yeah i love that yeah mu- rhythm rhythm's a interesting one when it comes to that man like when it comes down to like the our primal nature and getting back in touch with our fucking mud monsters in ourselves it's fantastic it's like that's what i always find so expressive is the times i get you know behind the drums or create something so rhythmically that it channels just this like i don't even know if aggression is the right word but it's just you're in the moment and you're like a fire you're just a warrior of some sort yeah dude i mean a drum had to be the first instrument right some form of rhythmic instrument had to be the first one and then like melody came later but yeah uh, even melody can't exist without rhythm behind it. Yeah, so. it, it's almost like synonymous because if you think of the voice, people were probably always singing in some way. So melody exists, but then you also had your appendages to create some type of rhythm. So I think neither of them ever existed without each other ever. Sure, sure. But the key is, is that like rhythm can exist on its own without melody. Oh, sure thing. You can just do the drums. Um, and just do rhythm and even just rhythm on its own can be enough. Like a drum, a good drum circle on its own can be enough. I know that people think of like a drum circle and they think of some bullshit hippy dippy nonsense in like fucking Golden Gate Park in San Francisco with a bunch of fucking dreaded white people dancing around in their hippy dippy <laughs> outfits being like, yeah, fucking around the drum circle. But there is something like legitimately primal and amazing about just pure rhythm like kind of flowing through you and you moving your body through it um like they they're onto something and yeah it's become sort of like a a joke in our culture but that is a legitimate thing and, and it's an ancient practice yeah yeah i think it's important man yeah tap into a fucking singing bowl sometime those bulls yeah. are wild, man. Hell yeah. That's the thing. I, there's so many people now I've talked to and they're just like, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not creative or I, I don't sing or like, yeah, I'm not musically inclined. And I just always want to say to him like, yes, you are. All of us are. I don't know when you didn't yeah. believe that. You can that. play drums. You yeah. can play drums. Every single person. I mean, maybe not every, but just about every, I think you, that is part of being human is song and song is built into you and whether you're good at it or not, I think just comes down to practice. Um, and that's it. But it's very similar to dance. Like, so I'm a shit dancer. Um, prove it. But I, (laughs) but I, I recognize that like dancing is a form of expressing yourself and like just allowing, turning off your mind and allowing your body to move how it wants to move. Um, and even as a shitty dancer in the right moments, I can tap into that and dancing can feel really good, even though I'm not good at it. Sometimes that's my favorite dancing is like when I see an artist that is just letting their body like uncontrollably move and they're getting so into it that it just becomes this art of itself. I'm like, yes. And same thing with the voice. It's like, those are always the voices I was attracted to in music that moved me right away where I'd listen to and I was like man, that's weird. That's obscure. That's unorthodox. I don't know how to, it's kind of ugly. Don't know how to feel about them before I know I'm like, this is the best voice in the world because it conveys feeling and emotion yeah. in such a different right. manner. 
Right, because the reality is people who have incredible voices are are wonderful gems, but they're also, once you put the world population on that, they're a dime a dozen. Yeah. So then you got to filter out to like, who also has a, a voice that is one palatable or more than palatable and, and also conveying something behind it. Um, and that's when you find those like rarer voices where it matters less like the technicality of their singing and more like what, what are you able to communicate to me through, through your style, through the feel for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Feeling is so important, man. I think feeling ultimately, no matter what style of music you're creating is the most important part. Right. I mean, that's why you still have. That's why you have someone like a Bob Dylan. I know this is such a cliche, but like a Bob Dylan or a Connor Oberst, like those dudes are not good singers. On paper, right. they're bad. They're bad at singing. They can hit notes, kind of. Yeah, that's yeah, what they can do. But it doesn't matter because they have a feeling behind it, and they have a serious like lyrical story to tell. Um, and a, a compelling way to do it. And so you put all that together, and it doesn't really matter that they can't sing. For people, sure. people stop caring. Yep. So many bands and artists get away with that. And it's just, yeah. Dinosaur Jr., dude. Jay Maskus isn't a good singer. No. But you but love it. Some fucking killer songs. And, yeah. like, yeah. The, the feel is all there. And, like, for sure. the stretch in his voice, like, makes sense for it. And it's fucking cool. Yeah. Were you ever into At the Drive-In back in the day? Yeah. I I'll, was. I'll, I'll still very listen to much some into At the Drive-In. Drive yeah, dude. That voice is, that dude's voice is insane. The first time I heard it, I was like, what the fuck? And then, just like, this is the most yeah. raw, intense yeah. thing Listening ever. Listening to him fucking scream, shout, one-arm scissor as a 13-year-old. Yeah. You're just, you're in it. You're yep, in it. All You're about like, it. It's speaking to you. It's wild. Oh, wild. Wild indeed. Should we well, get into some Bible stuff? Yeah, I would say before we get into the Bible stuff, London, if you have anything else that you kind of want to add about just like your spiritual journey and, and sort of where you've landed through, you know, like bring us to present day you before we get into the Bible bring us into like as much as you're willing to share like where are you at now so present day me like i said i believe i don't know what exactly that looks like but i know it's there um you know i believe many parts of the bible to be true too um i think there's equal parts metaphor as there is literal i think that goes for almost every holy text or religious text um I've gone through many years studying all of them and reflect on them. And, you know, I'm not one of those to highly criticize it because I always feel like I learned something new and deconstructing it is just the best I can do to try to learn as mm -hmm. much as possible. So where I am right now is always growing. Um, I think spirituality is a big part of my life. It's a big part of music. I think music for me is like the church to religion. It's that's where I go to to understand more about it. And um, at the same time, I'm also pretty unorthodox individual. So I'm never going to follow the straight line as far as how you're supposed to view it or what exactly it's supposed to be. It's um, it's to each in his own. I think God operates differently through everybody and whatever you want to call it, you know, that's, that's your thing. That's right. Hell yeah. It's everyone's business, how they want to get, how and where they want to get in line. 
Yeah. I also yeah. feel everyone in a way, regardless of what you believe in, you're connected to it. So it's right. in all things. You can't not be connected to no, it. No, it's in everything. It's all, it all breaks down to energy. It all comes from the source. And ultimately at the end of the story, it's really just God having a conversation with God. And we're all just pieces of the puzzle. These kind of projections that are trying to figure out the larger piece by talking to each other. Sure. Amen. I love that. I have uh, a uh, I have a tattoo on my arm um, that's just like a big fractal that sort of goes in like goes into itself. Um, is it the Mandelbrot? It is a Mandelbrot, yeah. Nice. And my that that tattoo was sort of to like capture this this spiritual understanding that I had at the time of you know everything just being a part of everything and being a smaller system of like this bigger system but also this sort of understanding of um the fact that like if we're all god then like i've just we i've lived every life so i've had this conversation from your perspective i've just been you and you've been dan and me Ooh, i like and, that like yeah we've all been all the lives because we're all just the one the one thing going out into the multitude to like explore further but um anyways thought i would just throw that i don't that's really neat yeah i would throw that i dig it uh cool well yeah let's get into the bible you threw out some really interesting uh verses to dissect oh yeah tell me what they are again because i already forgot (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I got you, pick, you. You picked a couple of the Beatitudes sections. Beatitudes. What yeah. is what? What is that reference? Beatitudes. Yeah, let's start with Matthew. So Matthew, uh, chapters six and seven. Um, but you had some some specific verses. So Matthew ch- chapter six, verse five. Um, but the this. Those two sections that you picked in Matthew are part of the these this beatitudes section, and it's yeah. like how you should be and you know it's like right. It's, so let's like start it. with let's start with five. Let's or Matthew chapter six verse five says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth. They received their reward in full. Ah, yes. Uh, Yeah, okay. So now I remember the kind of theme of why I picked the uh, chapters and verses I did. So that one always kind of stuck out to me because, you know, growing up religious, it always seemed like very important to pray, pray as a whole, pray in front of each other, be seen when you pray. And maybe that was my interpretation, but I always found it contradictory to when I found that part in the Bible. I was like... Well, that seems like showboating. It's like this is right. a kind of a personal relationship between you and the divine and you're supposed to be connected on this level that you know isn't anybody else's business essentially. Right. Yeah. And also like just the end of that verse Jesus telling you straight up like if you're praying to be seen, then that's your reward. Exactly. Yeah. That's all I that's love the that. only thing you get. That's the only thing you it's get. It's just that's that, it, baby. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually, I feel like that gets super overlooked where he's super straightforward about that. Of like, if you're doing it to be seen, then that's congratulations. That's what you get. Right. You got what you wanted. All the deeper shit though. Nope. Not a chance. You're not going to tap into that here. Nope. Not today. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. It's the light on. Uh, I feel like that goes back to like being the light on the the hill thing. You know, yep. just being being the quiet observer and displaying like what you're doing. Definitely. Um, the next one, uh, chapter seven, three through five, is something that we have touched upon. Ooh, on okay. this podcast, and it's the why don't you? Um, I think I'm missing a word here in what I've. Uh, replaced andrew you have the actual bible there yep i do it says it says why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye how can you say to your brother let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye you hypocrite first take the first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye yeah, love that one. That one, I've probably... That's a deep one. Yeah, and I've probably repeated that one to people like in a sitting situation more than any of them, because, especially when it comes to people of religious nature or background that... Dude, I feel like that verse is part of... In the same way that the Ten Commandments are woven into the world's moral code, mm-hmm. right? Like the entire world has decided you don't murder... You don't steal. Yeah. Like you don't take other people's wives. Yeah. Like everyone is wife. Everyone has decided like not cool. Right. And that one also though is sort of like that's a it's a cultural trope. Absolutely. Like and it repeats itself in many ways throughout the Bible. But I wanted to pick that one specifically because. Sometimes I'll hear people get on their high horse about what someone's doing wrong. And then, you know, that person and you know, the shit they fuck up in their life. And then at the same time as they're saying that, you know, the stuff you fuck up in your own life. And you're kind of just like, how are you going to stand in this position of just like, I had this, whatever that, what this individual is doing, that is wrong. And they should not be doing that. And you have the same demons in your closet. And it, and that's mm-hmm. what the whole scripture saying is like, why are you going to judge your brother, the person next to you that you're supposed to love and be there for when you got your own situation, you got your own issues. Yeah. Because here's the thing is when you're able, the moment you're able to actually get so-called your point across to that person and they need it when they needed it it's not going to be your doing you're going to be appointed it in some way you're going to be in the position to actually give it because it's going to come from love it's not going to come from judgment yeah absolutely absolutely yeah and that was that's kind of like the through line with all these things that you you selected verse wise yeah kind of like this humbling experience like realizing that we're like yeah humanity is all like connected at the core of these things that we experience well yeah and it goes into sort of uh tying in some carl Jung talking about the shadow where it's just like we're all the shadow like we all have a shadow oh yes so yeah the shadow might uh present itself in different ways to other people and manifest itself in different ways and different people. But like to think that you're not capable of the same thing is total folly. Like, cause you absolutely are. Um, which then to even take it a step deeper and what I was just talking about in terms of like us all being a part of God, meaning that we've all lived every life. Then you have to sit with the fact that like you were Hitler. Yeah. And you did that. Mm-hmm. You did that. Any bad thing that's happened in the world, like you also did. And maybe if you want to scale it back a little bit and and not be so woo-woo about it, 
I think you could just say um, that maybe maybe you didn't do that in a different life. Maybe this is the only life that you have, but in your shadow, because you're con- connected to the collective unconscious, like you are capable of it, given the right circumstances, you would do the same thing. Yeah. And so you should have compassion for that person who, who ended up doing that. And it doesn't mean like that you should okay what they did, but um, again, kind of what you're going back to in terms of like judging others for their transgressions or their wrongdoings, it's like, yet nobody's perfect. And uh, most of us have done some shit that's like pretty regrettable. Yeah. If you can't think of at least one thing that you've done that's pretty regrettable, then you're the next Messiah. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you did it. Yeah, I mean, that's that's even touched upon, I feel like, on uh, one of the Isaiah verses that you picked was, uh, it's chapter 64, verse 6. Uh, also, side note, like, how fucking long, like, that's the longest book. We're, like, into the 60s of chapters be- be- before Isaiah is done. Oh, spilling yeah. All, spilling yeah. all this mess. Like, that shit goes deep. Big time. Um, but 64.6 is uh, all of us have become like one who is unclean and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Yeah, dude. Most like beautiful depiction of death. (laughs) I love it. It's kind of just saying like, look, man, in the end, you're shit, you're dirt, you die. It is what it is. Uh, That is never going to go away. It's part of life. I think it's kind of what we kind of talked about in the very beginning of this podcast when we were talking about the virus and what I was saying, like how Western civilization has become so terrified of death as like it's not inevitable. And sometimes it's going to come like a fucking tornado and take out a bunch of us. But either way, we're all one. We're all in this together in a sense. But yeah, man, we're we're flawed human beings and we all die one day. So just do the best you can and try not to put everyone else at these like crazy standards. You don't keep yourself at. Yeah. Try to not be so fucking self-righteous. Yeah. Um, I know you also spoke about like Luke selecting revelations resonated with you. Wait, you, before we oh. into, get into Revelations, let's hit the other uh, section of Isaiah. Okay, yeah, for sure. I think you called out Isaiah uh, 58. Uh, I, I called out 64, chapter yeah, 6. 58, chapter uh, Verse seven. 7, yeah, which says, Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him, and not to turn away from your own flesh. Uh oh. Uh oh. And to not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh man. Yes. Weed's a hell of a drug. Yeah, yeah. Turn away from your flesh and blood, baby. Yeah, but that's a that's an interesting interesting verse especially for the old testament talking right. about just like going deep on service you know yeah yeah that's a and that one is so and i do kind of look at these the common theme is like um being humbled by things bigger than yourself but also like 
being shown the hypocrisy of your very nature and how you can act. And, you know, it's the same thing I've seen in the church and seen with religious people is how they look down on the homeless or, you know, it's so quick to be like, just get a fucking job or like you could figure it out. And it's like, yo, that is not what Jesus preached at all. It's like you say you're a Christian or you say, you know, you Mm -hmm. come from this religion that you hold so true to your very fiber of your being and then it's like oh fuck that person they need to get their shit together and it's yeah. like well Jesus was like yo no you go I don't care what their story Jesus, is Jesus, Jesus was like also I don't took it as, he took it a step further to say that's me yeah exactly Meaning that's and I think speaking as the Christ Jesus is saying that's us yes that's everybody yeah. you see a homeless person like that's you that's you take care of them Take That's care you. of them. Clothe Wouldn't the naked. Feed Which the hungry. Goes, yeah, it goes back to the fucking simple golden rule, um, but very powerful. Yeah. Just Which, say like, yeah. Yeah. That can also be like a pretty overwhelming task to like take on, though. Of like trying to figure yeah, out I those just things think, on a, on an individual level on an individual uh, level, but I think when the opportunity arises or you have your own concept of what it might be in their shoes, you need to nip that in the butt. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, I I fuck with that. Like this is like that verse. It's just like people turning away from like mankind, like the the person that you are, you know, sure. and just like denying like some some struggles yeah and i Uh, think i think in present day terms um that verse can be hard to handle um if you are like very spiritually inclined because it makes you feel like well if i'm not like working full-time at a food bank and like giving passing out pb and j's to homeless people on the streets of portland every day then what the fuck am i doing and it's not necessarily necessarily saying that like i think like what you were talking about london it's like more about like when life presents you with an opportunity to show up for someone like how do you show up for them right cuz we all have our own lives and like you got to just like live it how the best you can and but you're going to be presented with moments uh, where you can help someone and and do you do you rise to the occasion or do you like bow away from it yeah absolutely yeah and it coincides with the same uh verse we talked earlier in matthew about you know when you have a log in your own eye don't judge you know don't show the splinter in your brother's eye it's kind of saying the same thing it's like it's easy for i think people in a higher part of society to look down on the homeless and it's just like yo you're no different and not only that you don't know their story so when you start talking from this position like you know what they have gone through and what they should do to get their life together you've duped yourself and you're not aligned with your spirit at all for real Should we move on? Let's, uh, before we get into, um, I guess, Revelations. I think, we, no, I think we already did this verse. The only Sounds one that like we skipped over, we, the only one we skipped over was the Acts one. Oh, Acts. Okay. Well, let me pull up Acts real quick, uh, in King James. 
the King James version, the metal yeah, version. Yeah, we're gonna of the do the King, we're gonna do the King James version. Getting real with King James is gonna okay. tell you what it's like. And this is James. actually a, this is a perfect one for King James. So the King James version says, "God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands." Yes. What the fucking James? Is that the whole thing? That's the whole thing. I can go on. I Verse 25 says, Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath in all things. Yeah. So that rounds it out. Yeah. So pretty much that one for me is kind of it's neat the way you guys line this out because yeah when we were talking about you know our own spiritual paths and what the church meant to me growing up and finding my own community and how i was saying like music is my church the church never was reading that scripture after um you know being away from the church for a long time meant something totally different to me where i was like oh interesting god's pretty much telling him like you could you could build these giant cathedrals and synagogues and temples but that's not where i dwell mm -hmm. like I am everywhere and everything and all things. I don't operate within your the confines right. that you build. And so once again, it's those like right. the square, building the square and stacking them upon each yeah, other. Yeah, and it's like the original conception of a holy space was probably just to facilitate community, right? Which is yeah. where God thrives. God thrives in the community of people and people coming together, um, but not necessarily in the, not the, it's not the physical space. Right. It's the like non-physical connection between all of these people being together and and standing in that. Yeah, man. One hundo. <laughs> One hundo. And then talking about the revelation shit. Uh, talking about like the mark of the beast. That's what you're talking about. Oh about this shit! Whole, the, this whole situation of us all getting microchipped and whatnot, and kind of submitting to that really quickly without. Yeah, dude, I had to you throw know, that. Really checking in. I had to throw that one in for fun, especially after listening to your last podcast with Luke and you guys kind of touching on the same chapter. I got all excited when you first hit me up, and I was like, "Oh shit!" Yeah, dude. we didn't make it there. Yeah, we didn't make it there. So, so it's perfect. Yeah, it made me. I was like, "Oh, they didn't get to that one that I really wanted to get on," but. I think that is the most relevant as far as like the prophetic nature of what is happening right now. And to see a, just to see the concrete of it, to see it really solidify through humankind. And like this dude, Bill Gates, who is like offering, you know, or not really offering. I mean, he's saying he wants it to be mandatory, but he's at the forefront of the medical crisis saying, yo, we have this thing called the digital ID. It's a digital implant. It's a quantum implant. We put it in you and it will give you a mandatory vaccination. Well, that's just kind of the start of it. Where does that go? You know, now that all of us would have these digital readers in our bodies, what does that end up being? And it's also, interesting. Just to think that like China's instituted shit where through some kind of personal tracking system, they can tell you if you've been in touch with someone that have, was infected with COVID. Right. Um, and so they can track it that way, which is in, like on paper sounds very cool. And then you think about the amount of like personal data that they need from you to do that. And you're like, well, wait, that's a lot. That means you're tracking my entire location and like all my health history and whatever. Um, yeah, which I, is sort of like, I get now the like, 
um, I guess like fundamentalist, like religious nuts who are like, this is their justification for the mark of the beast. Right. Like, here we go. What's so interesting too is because they say, um, so in that verse of Revelations, they talk about the number of it too. The mark of the beast also has a number and is that m- number is the number of man and that number is 666. And that was so weird to me because I think when the um, barcode was very first created, you know how it's like a long line, some short lines, a long line in the middle, a short lines, ending line. Well, mm-hmm. the three lines actually were the equivalent of 666. And so it's funny that the very first way of tracking to buy and sell goods was actually this number. And so now we're getting to a stage where it's applied to the actual human entity and it being implanted in us. And who's to say at some point, if you don't get your vaccination or you don't follow the rules in the law, Mm -hmm. that they just shut off your little thing that lets you allow to buy or sell on any goods and you'll starve to death if you don't. I mean... And I know this sounds to some people out there outlandish. That's crazy. That's never happened. But at the same time, it's just like, I think a lot of the ways we're living life and under the jurisdiction of big government or big pharma and all these giant corporations that have really turned into a big oligarchy. I think someone could come here for that died a hundred years ago and be like, are you guys serious? You accepted all this. And so it's, it really is a frog in boiling water kind of situation. No, yeah. We've we've slowly given up rights and rights and rights like here and there little bit here and there so that we can have some more technology and now we're getting to a point where we're sort of just like cool so they have access to like everything everything i talk about that the fact that my dick is burning and then i go on instagram and i get dick cream right as my first ad (laughs) yeah you know like it's normal yeah and then you kind of exactly everyone just sort of shrugs their shoulders and is like well that's weird that i was just talking about that and i got an ad for it but <laughs> yeah because well, we, like three years ago do you remember first time telling your friend they're like i was talking about like i need to go to home depot and get some gear to build the shed and then i got a home depot ad on spotify and they're like get out of here man that's insane now three years later you're like oh yeah 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 that happens for sure whatever there's a, there's a documentary on netflix called the great hack that is all about that and just how like a lot of it is just so much compiled data that we're all just like so predictable in some way yeah right? a lot of that is dictated that which way is which kind is kind of some Westworld shit crazy in, yeah in some way as well yeah it's some west world uh, shit absolutely yeah you yeah. really have to ask yourself how much of it is our predictive nature and how much of it has actually built programmed our subconscious to lean that direction is any of our opinions real i mean this is getting deep but has is any of our opinions or these things we gravitate towards that we then preach out to the rest of the world that we should stand by any of our real opinions or was it force-fed to the point that our subconscious mind goes oh yeah i i should be convinced that this is real and now it's important to me and if well we- i think it's it's all of the above i mean you you can only be drawn towards what you know and our society certainly feeds us um, consumerism on like a pretty intense level. Um, So we all have that within us to some degree um, on, on the subconscious level, which is, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to buck against that. But I think there's also the other, this other subconscious level that's more pure, which is kind of what, what this whole chat is about is it's kind of like, okay, so we've been given all this bullshit that's been like fed to us 
which was not of our control. Um, and then there's this other side to us that like, um, is rooted in something a little more pure and like, how do we, how do we tap into that and manifest that and more in our lives as opposed to the bullshit that society gives us? Yeah. Cause it's very real. It's very real in the sense that like, if you, if that shit goes unchecked, then you will just be at target every week buying shit and you don't know why. Yeah. But you're doing it. Yeah. How far does it go till we just, there's nothing human about us anymore? I mean, that's, that's really the only thing that scares me is to when people just don't know how to communicate with each other, because I, it's far different than it was just, I'm sure like 50 years ago on how, how many people communicate with each other. Yes. Right. We're more connected. Sure. But we're also more scared of ourselves. We don't know ourselves probably like we used to, even if we were more simple creatures, we still, we get lost in our own dialogue. For sure. And Absolutely. I go to, I go to target a lot every week. Yeah. Sam. You, you got, well, I mean, Sam, you gotta get that cinnamon toast crunch. So is on sale, baby. Hey, baby. Come on. You gotta get that fucking, getting that, you gotta get in that target red circle, baby. You get like, really two, you get like five white shirts for $3. You gotta buck bro. up. And you I don't, don't even need to wash those Man. shirts anymore. You get those white shirts. You just wear them seven dollars you know hey throw the them shitty away. thing the the flip side is that like technology is also really dope yeah absolutely like, it's just like allows us to do all this crazy shit too and like yeah it all comes down from, to what we do with it i think right, like, right that's the right, thing about that's the thing about energy it's like you even hear about like black magic occults and shit and like what alistair crowley and like anton LeBay would do and shit and you're just like mm-hmm. everyone's mm-hmm. pulling from the same energy everyone's tapping into the same thing yeah. and then they're just transposing it differently you want to use it for good you want to use it for gr- shit like that is all on you for sure just to circle back to to mormonism like um the way that luke was describing his experience going into like a Freemason ceremony, which is definitely tapped into some similar shit that like Crowley and Antoine Levain were like tapped into as well. Um, uh, I don't know. It was just so interesting to just be like, oh yeah, you wit- you witnessed like the OG, like yeah. a real like magic ceremony pre like, not pre-technology, but pre-like the technology that we have, obviously. But like what you're talking about, they're using their energy and then doing like all of these things that are sort of like manipulating the fabric of energy and matter together to like right. create something. And and they probably were. I who know. I I doubt that the like current Freemasons are actually doing fucking anything. I think they're just doing ancient ceremonies, and nothing comes from it. But I, I, do believe that like it comes from a practice where at some point, pre-technology, thousands of years ago, they were using like symbols and sounds and all of these things to like manipulate reality in a way that was meaningful to them and they could do it in an empirical way where they were just like, Oh shit, we just fucking manifested that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we have enough information just from like Egyptology alone to see like what these fools were able to do with very, 
primitive resources yet right. extraordinary ideas and concepts yeah. ancient technologies though yeah. right we're talking ancient technologies meaning just like the power of energy and sound it's always related to like sound sound you, man. Yeah. vibration sound and vibration, vibration and yeah it's wild and that's sort of the fabric of i mean yeah this is getting very woo woo and and into the edges of science now but um you know some people would posit that like the foundations of matter are just the vibrations of strings right so everything is just sound yeah on some level yep like at its most fundamental level it's just it's just a vibrating thing vibrating on some level creating this like frequency that then produces this thing in in our experience yeah i don't know who's who it's who said it but they were talking about the universe just being a giant um uh, radio receiver and it's like every world is just a different frequency you know we're on like 92.4 and then one dimension over which is right in front of us we just can't see it is like 101.5 you know yeah and I always love that 92. idea. Or 92.5. Or 92.5. Like, there could be so just many. Just one degree <laughs> off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you can't see none of it. Yeah. What a trip, man. Yeah. I think that's an interesting thing to bring up with science because we, I think science too is like catching up with a lot of like theological knowledge and time and time again we've seen that to be true so like you were saying yeah, with it string, does keep happening it does keep happening so like you were saying with string theory and vibration who, who's this say like 20 years from now science science can go oh yeah that's 100 percent true but right, right now we have to talk about in the context of it being woo woo or something but really right. it's probably like i think we know where this this point of light is directing us. It just sure. takes us longer to get there, which we probably intuitively know already exists in the first yeah. place. I mean, it's possible that we're living in a very interesting time right now where science is very much at odds with sort of anybody uh, with anything resembling like a mystical understanding of the world or um, yeah, anything unscientific. Um uh, but like this like spiritual approach that especially when it stems from like this ancient wisdom that's been passed down to us. But like you said, we're, we're seeing this like uh, merging of science and a lot of ancient wisdom in all of these different ways. And so it's in some sense, it's like kind of safe to assume that a lot of that is going to be, it's going to hold true. Cause, right. Cause we're talking about, that ancient wisdom, we're not talking about like a hundred years of white dudes sitting around desks being like, yep, this is the way that things are. We're talking about like thousands of years of yeah. entire cultures having nothing to do except ponder why they exist. Yep. And this is, and they all came up with like sort of similar things. So yeah, it gets very interesting. Gotta love it. Far out, man. Far out indeed. Should we wrap this fucking thing up? Let's do it, baby. Aha. Um Smoke Pray Love, everybody. Uh we're gonna put all the links in the episode notes. Check out London's music. Uh all the all the things he is doing. I think we're gonna play it out with Polar Bear. 
off of off of your yeah. uh, your new EP, which is uh, now available everywhere when this comes out. So uh, exclusively everywhere, exclusively everywhere. So we'll put the links there. And uh, Andrew, do you have any closing words to uh, end the episode? Just bless up. Just bless up. Straight up. It was good talking London. to you guys. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Good talking Thanks. to you, man. Thank you for uh, for hanging with us, dude. Dude, always a pleasure. Um, and that's it, everybody. Be be well. Dope. I'm feeling you say it's done. I I miss it. You said it's done. Talking, I've known where you used to be. Well, I've been gone since again. This overgrown lobby See the key is there There's no key at all You just gotta turn the knob The door's been open all along So I push against joy And let the light bleed through I watch everything come together As I become the glow And cause of the rainbow Piss a transparent window Vibrate till they become a solid Translate into a haunted